Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. Welcome back parents and teachers, counselors, and people who support kids in our community. Oh man, we are on a long journey through this COVID pandemic, which has made the topic of anxiety uh, definitely a priority. And um, being a couple years in and noticing how it has changed my own nervous system and my responses to stimuli around me, I am definitely having a lot of compassion for people who struggle in the day-to-day with feeling uh, a sense of anxiety. Um, we are going to talk specifically about uh, how anxiety shows up in our kids of different ages. Uh, we're also going to talk about what parents can do to really effectively support them in concrete ways. And we're going to talk about how to collaborate with schools because it's getting increasingly difficult to do that. And school is really unpredictable and that adds its own layers of difficulty in communicating with staff and being able to consistently have rhythms in our learning and how we support our kids. So, um, I'm really excited to have, uh, my guest today who is a school counselor by the name of Shannon Sullivan. Uh, Shannon is a highly regarded counselor and teacher on the inclusion support team in Coquitlam in the Coquitlam School District. Um, over the span of her 15-year career, she has improved the educational experience of students all the way from kindergarten to grade 12. She was instrumental in building the foundation for the MACC gifted program, which is multi-age cluster class program. And she's a regular presenter on Teacher Professional Days, tackling topics like executive function in the classroom, impacts of educational neuroscience, understanding behavior, and so much more. In her current role, she supports the meaningful inclusion of all learners, and um, she's a facilitator of the SNAP program, which is Stop Now and Plan. She helps parents and kids make better choices in the moment. She is a lifelong learner and continually building her knowledge base in areas of interest, including executive function, nonviolent crisis intervention, social skills, educational neuroscience, developmental and complex trauma, and mental health. Outside of the school, she's an active board member of BC Diving, the North Vancouver High School Education Fund, and the Strawn Hartley Foundation. She is also a national level diving judge, so fascinating, and an NCCP master coach facilitator. I love this last line of her bio in her spare time. I'm thinking, how do you have any? She's passionate about rock climbing, mountain biking, yoga, hiking, snowshoeing, and numerous extended family members and spending time with them. So I welcome you, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode around anxiety. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am honored. It's going to be a good conversation for a number of reasons. I think, you know, parents who have had anxious kids for a long time, this yeah. is not a new topic to be researching yeah. um, and looking for some resources around. But now more than ever, people are recognizing signs of anxiety mm -hmm. um, 
in themselves and in their kids. And Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, tons of people are chiming in, Mm -hmm. curious maybe for the first time of what's the difference between worry and anxiety and asking like, when, when is it really in the way? Um, And what do we do about it? And so I just think that this is a good timely conversation. Um, So can we start off by just asking or talking a bit about what to watch for? You have experience working with kids all the way from K to 12. So you can mm-hmm. chunk this however you want to, you know, if there's certain things that matter or show up differently in younger kids, we can talk about that. Um, but what should parents be looking for uh, that might signal that there's actually anxiety going on for their kids? Yeah, I think that that's a really, there's just, there's, there's a lot of nuance to that question because yeah. really the first thing you have to understand is where your child is in what's called baseline. So where they are feeling safe, feeling happy, feeling engaged, mm-hmm. um, their typical behavior and understanding where they are typically, because where you want to pay attention is where there's a change from that baseline. And what yeah, you typically point. look at is um, a change over two weeks. So there's kind of two points to look at, a change over two weeks and a change over six weeks. So a change in baseline over two weeks means that there's a change from where they typically are and the things that they can typically do. For example, um, and it also comes to know, you have to know what where your child is. Are they normally yeah. boisterous? Are they an introvert or are they an extrovert? Okay. Because you can say, oh, my child isn't seeing their friends. Well, how many friends are they typically seeing? Um, if they're always asking for play dates, if they're always asking to go out, if they're always talking to people, if they're always on social media for those older Mm -hmm. kids, and that is a change, that's where we need to start paying attention. And it's also a huge challenge right now with COVID because frankly, nothing, they might not measure anything. (laughs) I know, (laughs) but there is still a baseline at COVID. There is still a time where you can say, you know what? I actually need help here. So understanding where your child is at baseline is a really important factor to understanding when you need help. Okay. So when you have worry, worry is actually a really typical thing. We want to have worry because that serves to protect us. Mm -hmm. If we're worried about if we can use like a movie example, um, we should worry if we're walking down a dark alley at night. That's a very good thing because our nervous system is saying, hey, be careful here. The difference between that worry is anxiety and anxiety is an anxiety stops you from doing the things that you typically or should be doing. Okay. So if your child is at baseline and they have some worries about going to school, that's actually pretty typical. Mm. But where it comes into the anxiety is where they start to have school refusal or they start to have dance refusal or they stop going to parties. And it is typical in this environment, Mm -hmm. in Canada, in BC, in local communities, to go to school on a regular basis, to see friends and have at least one friend, to go to an after-school activity. Um, And in some, in in the cases, I I know this may be going a little bit left, but Mm -hmm. um, for a child to sleep on their own, to sleep in their own Mm -hmm. bed after a certain age. So if a child is not doing those typical behaviors, or has a change from baseline, then that is something for parents to to um, to wonder about. Yeah, yeah, that's where the question mark should come come in. Yeah. So yes. if it's a change, so the baseline you're talking about is not necessarily global. Mm-hmm. Correct. It's, it's yeah. child specific. That's right. That's okay. right. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's really important okay. to be aware of. 
because you can look around and see what other kids are doing or even what you did as a child. Mm -hmm. But your nervous system and who you are is different from what your child is. For example, just going back to that really, um, really, I guess somewhat easy, but I think the, um, the vocabulary is more within our society right now, that introvert, extrovert. How does yeah. your child recharge? If you recharge by being around people and having lots of friends, that may not be how your child recharges their yes. battery. It yeah. may need that after school, um, they need to go in and you know read their book or do something quiet to recharge their yeah. battery. So understanding what the baseline is, it's not your baseline and how you were as a child, but really looking to who your what your child needs, what their baseline is. And it could be more social or if you needed that recharge, but your kid recharges by being around a whole bunch of people, then that's what you have to understand. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And when, so what that brings up for me is, and this is, I don't think as common, but I have come across some parents who have not previously identified a child mm. who has always been anxious. Right. And yeah. so then the baseline might be misleading. Agreed. So there's some parents who are going to be for the first time tuning in to their child's stuff and maybe yeah. developmentally. Cause I think about kids to pre preschool. Yeah. There's a yes. lot of parental protection and accommodation you can do yeah. to kind mm-hmm. of minimize the symptoms. Yes, sure. If they get into kindergarten, grade one, grade two, and you're noticing it's now flaring, that doesn't yeah. mean it wasn't always there. That wasn't your child's baseline, Correct. but it's showing up differently. Yes. And so I love when you started off by saying it's nuance because yes. there's actually a both and happening. I think yeah. for, for people who typically have a very uh, stable read on their child Mm -hmm. and the functioning is there Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they're they're doing the things that make them come alive in life Mm -hmm. and then there's a change that Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I think is what you're talking Mm -hmm. about is more of the typical expression of anxiety when it shows up later yes correct not a tip yeah but for some people I think it's also the baseline could be anxious Yeah, I would agree with that. And so there's so many reasons, there's so many things to understanding why a child's nervous system is reacting the way they are. And uh, I think that's where parents need to be curious about themselves and um, their, the history of the biological parents um, and looking at um, their own history um, with anxiety um, and their own history with worry and where those protectionism coming from, because we don't necessarily understand, uh, the first thing that parents should do is be curious about themselves. Mm. What is their language, um, mm-hmm. around worry is a lot of their language around, um, you know, be careful, slow down. Don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Um, don't yeah. try that. I'm worried about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, kids can be born with that certain level of protection. Um, you know, they come into this world uh, a little bit more anxious than others. Yeah. And it is very easy as parents to want to protect your child. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is always that fine line between, um, you know, protection, building resilience, wanting them to try That's hard, right. but it's hard if you have a child who struggles to meet new people and you're wanting them to get out onto the playground and all they're doing is having a meltdown yeah. when they're being introduced to certain people. Yeah. So then it's saying, how do you do that in, in careful ways? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and gentle ways, understanding that 
we do want our kids to make friends. We are social creatures. That's a part of our world, our life. Um, So that first step is um, if your child is naturally anxious, reflecting on yourself, doing, being curious about yourself. What's your language? Um, Mm -hmm. Are, as a parent, do you have friends? Do you go and speak Mm -hmm. while you're, while you're encouraging your child at the playground to meet new people, do you go over and talk to the parents right. as well? What's being modeled? Yeah. yeah. What correct. are they viewing? Yeah. yeah they learn so right. much through their eyes, right? Of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. We're born with a capacity to, um, within our bodies to, you know, breathe, sleep, eat, but so much of our brain is built through experience. Yeah. The neurons connect through experience and the more we see and the more parents are modeling the behaviors which we want them to have, mm. the more those building blocks will create um, those the 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 skills that we want to have our we yeah. want our kids to have. Does yeah. is that does that make sense? Absolutely. And you yeah. know, I I often tie skill building practices in Mm -hmm. with brain wiring. It is the way our brain rewires is through lived experience. It's not by being told something. It's by practicing something. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I would agree. And going back to that practice, and and I love the fact that you used kindergarten, because kindergarten is a bit of a tell-all. Yeah, sure (laughs) is, right? So much that happens in kindergarten. Um, And my role within the system is actually supporting the transition between um, uh, into kindergarten. And um, there's so much modeling that can come in from uh, when you see kids coming into kindergarten and going again, going back to that difference between worry and anxiety. It's very typical for kids to wonder about what's going to happen in kindergarten. Who's my teacher? Am I going to get lost? Are the grade fives going to pick on me? Um, Particularly if they're a first child and they don't have older brothers and sisters in the system. It's very typical to have those worries, maybe not sleep the night before because you're so Mm -hmm. excited where the concern is is if a child is refusing to go or after that two-week period is still not ready to get into this into the classroom so I've supported multiple families whose kids really struggle Mm -hmm. on that first day to walk into the classroom and one of the first things I tell parents is um, surreptitiously talk about how much you love school (laughs) talk about I love school I had such a fun time at school I love your teacher I love this so you're planting seeds without realizing it absolutely I'm so excited and mommy and daddy are so proud of you first thing to do is change the language so you're planting seeds about how awesome school is so worries are typical anxiety is when it's stopping you from doing the things that you should be doing for a person your age and at a five or four or five-year-old it is typical for a child to go to school in this community yeah yeah so for middle middle schoolers yeah that age bracket there's so much going on there yeah um and when they're undergoing that much rapid change yes and yet to really for the most part, know who they are. Yeah. That is a really unsettling period of yep. time. Yeah. What does anxiety tend to look like for those kids? Um, it can look like a, a variety of things again, because some kids may, 
uh, depending on how your nervous system reacts, I'll, I'll go with that way okay. because your nervous system, typically people's nervous system, their primary mode is that safe and secure, that reciprocal conversation. I can talk to you. They yeah. can talk to their safe people. They're willing to um, engage. They're willing to learn. They're able to learn because they're using that logic. But as soon as they feel threatened, they might go into either fight or flight mm-hmm. or they might go into freeze. So that fight or flight may mean um, an increase in um, uh, not necessarily temper tantrums at that age, but the talk back, the yelling, um, the just unable to use logic. Um, Or if it goes to that other extreme, it's the shutdown. It's the hood up head on your desk. It's not engaging. It's not engaging with your friends. It's um, a big trigger for tip for most parents nowadays and um, adults within the system is looking at their social media accounts. What's happening at social media. So for some, it may be an increase in behaviors Mm -hmm. and for others, it may may mean a decrease in behaviors, which means they're just not participating in the community. They're completely checking out. So it might look like overeating or not eating. It might look like um, uh, sleeping more than typical, which is yeah. a really hard one given where yes. middle schoolers are. Right. You Developmentally, know, it, they need more sleep again. They yeah. do need more sleep. But yeah. when you're going into the area of they're sleeping so much that they cannot participate in the yeah, things that they escape. would typically do, mm-hmm. it's escape because their yeah. body is just saying, I can't do this. Yeah. So understanding where your parent, as a parent or a caregiver, where your child is, where that baseline is, because you also have to know that your kid goes through stages yeah. and that middle school, they do. Yeah. So you have to then say, okay, where is my child now? They yeah. were like this at 12 when they finished grade five or grade seven, and they're going on to middle school or into high school. Yeah. Ooh, I need to relearn my child again, I need to relearn what their rhythms are because their rhythms may be changing. So what, what is the beat of their drum now? Hmm. You know, what rhythm are they operating on now? And can I get into that rhythm to find out where their baseline is? So you're aware of what those changes are. Um, It's, it is typical for children to use that middle school age to begin their independence, their stride mm-hmm. towards independence. Is your child actually clinging to you more? Is it the opposite? So they don't want to go anywhere without you because they're not trusting themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, is it um, going away from their friends? Is it only going towards their friends? Um, is it temper tantrums at this age? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or is it that shutdown? Um, and and then looking at things like eating or not eating, um, sometimes the shutdown is harder to read than the explosive because the explosive is like, okay, what's going on here? It's right there. But if someone puts their head down, they're just being a typical teenager. Right. Um, well, and I think about the, there's, there's freeze, like the flooding response of checking out and disengaging. And I also see fawning happen where kids are people pleasing. Yes. And perfectionism. Perf- high perfectionism yes. performance based. Yeah. And so when parents parents are in such a good position to know what's authentic for their child. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, a lot of other people might get fooled because yeah. they only see those kids mm-hmm. in one context mm-hmm. and yeah. they're yeah. sweet and mm-hmm. they do the job and mm-hmm. they do it well and yeah. on time if not early and yeah. right and so that makes 
everybody else's lives easier. And so we rarely complain about that. And then I think parents don't get a lot of the feedback from teachers either that signals that there's something going on. Um, And that can also be a coping strategy. And I, that one seems the most tricky, I think, to detect. I would agree. And teachers love the perfectionists. (laughs) They love them. Right. They do. Um, Because they're straight A students, they try hard. Um, But, you know, again, that's where that's where it's understanding what human behavior is. So Mm -hmm. if the child is a perfectionist, it's it's typical for kids to want to get good marks. Typical. But if that desire to get good marks is completely taking over your world at home, that's where that anxiety comes in. So if your child gets home at three o'clock and all of a sudden at 10 o'clock, they're still not done because they have to do four copies of something. Yeah. Um, then that that's that's an issue because that's not only taking over your child's life, but that's taking over your whole house mm-hmm. because they're refusing then to do something. Show they're up at the dinner table and because watch a movie to, in the evening with the family. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that often also can lead to paralyzing so they yeah. won't do anything. Right. Because they're so worried about making any mistakes. Mm-hmm. So it's again, kind of going back to understanding where your child is at baseline and then seeing where they are over their two weeks or six weeks and saying, this is not typical for them. Um, And I, I'm glad that you brought out that, that perfectionism because we do strive for that within society. And that's something in some cases to be proud of. Um, But it can also be very, very challenging to function as a family and as a human being, if the words that we're constantly using is our head on our head is I'm not good enough yeah. or in order for people to like me and yeah. to be okay is I have to be perfect. Yeah. A- and that is just because we're not perfect. They have strengths and stretches. Yeah. They are incredible, incredible human beings, yeah. but they have stretches as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you know, as an extension of that idea of their, our kids are not perfect. They're also not mini adults. Correct. Right. And so we can't expect the same executive functioning, the same memory, no. the same yeah. stick to the same showing up on time, the same monitoring, the same preparation, the same yes. rationale. So like yeah. how are kids interpreting what's expected of them in the classroom? And they right. come home thinking I have to do it exactly this way for this right. long. Yeah. Or I'm not getting the A when, you know, somebody on the outside might look at that assignment and say, that's not what they're asking for. You're missing the heart of what's expected. And those are so many of the types of situations that if a kid can't read into the interpretation Mm -hmm. of what's Mm -hmm. at the essence Mm -hmm. of it, Mm -hmm. they lock in on what they need to do to be perfect at it. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. can steal a kid's life, right? Like that can steal the life, the day-to-day life out of them because they are fixated on doing specific things, specific ways in specific amount of time. Right. And going back to um, that magic words, those magic two words of executive skills, which are totally something that I I, I, uh, appreciate talking about so much is on the one hand where you look at the the highly capable um, child who can has the executive skills to do that planning and organization and time management and flexibility in order to complete the project. On the other side is the child who, as soon as they see the worksheet, they explode. Yes. So their nervous system, 
Correct. Their nervous system has learned over time that worksheets equal, I can't do this. Yes. And they could be within the school system as kids are moving through the school system, because they're in a grade, they are expected to act as the rest of their same age peers. Mm -hmm. And we're very aware now as we're learning more about, you know, mental health and behavior and the nervous system, frankly, is that's not necessarily Mm -hmm. um, where they're operating Um, As an example, you take kids that have um, ADHD, um, Mm -hmm. they are often operating um, three to four years or grades below where their same age peers are. So the way they might react is by taking the worksheet, ripping it up and Mm -hmm. flighting outside the room. And that's that's it. What does that get them? That gets them escape. Mm -hmm. And it might get them attention because someone comes up and looks looks after them and talks to them about it. Um, So you've got you know, two very different ways of managing, but they're both anxiety. Yeah. I, I would like to know how it shows up in unstructured spaces. Do you know, notice anything different for kids, anxious kids? So like, even when you're talking about that, we're talking a lot about like homework or classroom expectation or communication at home or engagement in structured things. Mm -hmm. Does it look any different, do you think, if it's in unstructured spaces? what? How does it translate for kids who are on the playground without mm-hmm. really, like, mm-hmm. strong monitoring or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. advocacy or yeah. facilitation or in the hallways for teens? Or Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, uh, I was thinking one thing and then I kind of can think of, think yeah. of another. And the way yeah. I think about it is within the classroom, there's always an adult. So in some ways, a classroom is a setting where there's always someone, even a little bit co-regulating. So saying, I've got you, I'm here, I'm I'm aware of who you are. I'm around. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. But when you get outside a child or in the hallway, a child Mm -hmm. is expected to have the skills to self-regulate. To manage their own behavior, right. which yeah. is a completely vulnerable different thing. Hey? Oh, Very. Man. Yeah. So there's so much outside and in the hallways, right from K to 12, that a child is, is must do when they're in those unstructured environments. When you're in a structured environment and you're talking to one person or playing with one person, mm-hmm. you need to manage the social nuance between that person and you, two people. Yeah. When you get outside, you have to manage the nuance between yourself and the other person, plus mm-hmm. the other person and person two, plus person three, and then all the interplay between that. Yeah. So what I would say the anxi- where the anxiety comes in is it immediately is overwhelm. Mm-hmm. And then you have those two reactions that are the same. You have the explosion explosions. So the kids that always get in fights. So yep. they're always fighting. They're yep. always, um, you know, yep. telling somebody a swear word yep. um, because really it's about they're managing. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Or then the other extreme, you see kids on the outside of the playground, not engaging with anybody Yeah. because they, it's to go up and ask somebody, will you play with me? Mm-hmm. A, they could be facing rejection. Yeah. B, they might not have the social skills to manage reciprocal conversation yep. or um, the play skills. And the expectation that kids are going to have those skills, particularly in COVID, where they may not have had social interaction yeah. for the last two years, um, you know, is, is, a, is a big thing to pay attention to. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and what we know, right, and a lot of parents, this will be familiar sounding, is that when you're anxious, your frontal lobe basically turns off. It's like it the, the dimmer switch goes zoom and, and fight flight goes whoop. It and does. so it's a replacement. It's not an add-on that we're trying to be in survival mode. It, yeah. it preserves energy by only focusing on how do I stay alive in this? And so we're in, we, our only choices are threat modes. We yes. only have fight, flight, freeze, fawn. We yeah. don't have the choice of, oh, I'm just going to think this through and collect more environmental data and think about, you know, maybe I'm not being stared at by 12 teenagers around the corner hanging out at their locker. Maybe I'm not being judged by so-and-so. And I appreciate you saying, I think the difference, one of the key differences in the structured to unstructured is the present, I've got your back human in the room. And that allows us to feel like somebody is also paying attention for me when mm-hmm. I can't. So I can lean in on them should I need to for safety, mm-hmm. emotional mm-hmm. safety. Mm-hmm. And yep. yeah, in those unstructured spaces, when our prefrontal cortex turns off, we can't think yeah. straight yeah. and we're just panicking about yeah. how are we going to survive the next 45 minutes of this yeah. lunch recess. Yeah. That doesn't give us the tools we need, nor do we have the adult who has the backup tools. Yeah. And it's us, also... Right? Yeah. And, and so whenever we're dealing with, um, whenever we're looking at input, sensory input yeah. coming in, our sensory input actually comes in, in the brain stem. And so in that basal brain right. and yeah. works its way upwards. Up. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's, if, you know, you're constantly, if, if a child or anybody, particularly in those super sensitive ages, mm-hmm. middle school, high school, are always dealing with rejection, their brains are taking in that information and they yeah. won't even get up into that fight no. or flight. It's just right. shut down. I'm There's out. no making sense of it. There it, isn't. Right. Yes. So you have to understand that the sensory input that you're getting in is about safety. Do I feel safe in this moment? Yes, I feel safe in this moment. And then the sensory input can get up into that logic, into that prefrontal cortex. If you're not even safe, then it won't even reach there because you might be in fight or flight. So if a child in middle school, as an example, has dealt with rejection because they may not have those social skills for a variety of different reasons, by the time they get into grade six, grade seven, grade eight, they're done because they just... They, they, they have just had to deal with um, so much in those years, you know, coming in from a yeah. variety of spaces. Well, and that, that, I think that's so, such a, a simple way of explaining why anxiety disorders become mm-hmm. secondary mm-hmm. to other things. So mm-hmm. when we're already struggling in something, mm-hmm. anxiety is our attempt, our body's attempt to survive mm-hmm. the vulnerability of that. Mm-hmm. And so it's not uncommon Mm-hmm. to have other things in the background of what's going on at your base. And then anxiety starts to develop because you're co- at your core, you're feeling threatened all the time Yeah, because of feeling vulnerable. And so anxiety is, is like a, a new layer we can add mm-hmm. to an already struggling system mm-hmm. right within us. Yeah. So anxiety and worry help us. They help yeah. us survive. Because at the end of the day, the entire role of our nervous system is to help us survive. Mm -hmm. So as anybody goes through the world, they develop coping mechanisms to help them survive. And some are healthy and some are not healthy. If you're looking at a a dark alley 
a coping mechanism is don't walk down the alley mm -hmm. or the next time walk with a friend. Those are yeah. really healthy. That's right. The unhealthy one is not leaving your house. So kids do the same thing. If you are rejected on the playground, a, a not healthy coping mechanism is to not ask anyone to play ever again mm -hmm. and to walk along the outside mm -hmm. or to get mad at somebody if they reject you and punch yeah. them yeah. because that is our nervous system's way of saying, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you safe. Yeah. That's right. What we need to look at, and this is where it's the adult's responsibility because we can't put that onto the kids. And I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent between self-regulation and co-regulation yeah. is because right now within the school system, there's an enormous amount of stress and pressure to have kids self-regulate. Yeah. Yeah. But my question as a counselor is, are kids able to self-regulate or do we actually have to teach them co-regulation first? Yeah. Because it's a capacity need... thing. Yeah. Yeah. So in some cases, kids aren't trusting the adults that are around them because mm -hmm. they've learned that adults can't be trusted. So we need to start there. We need to say, when a child is feeling anxious, I've got you. I have yeah. you. I'm, I'm, I've, I am going to be the, the calm in your storm. Unless they can co-regulate, we can't ask them to self-regulate. And there's some kids that just aren't there yet because their nervous systems are saying, I'm just not ready. And right now the world is unsafe. So yeah. the coping mechanisms. As yeah. adults, we need to support, we need to be curious about why they are doing the way, the, the things that they're doing. On the home front, it could be, why are they playing video games so much? Why are they feeling safe in video games or safe on social media or safe in their room and they're not feeling safe to do these other things? And what skills do we need to teach them in order to be those functioning adults that we want them to be? Yeah. Because parenting is a long game. It's not a That's short right. game. So yeah. how are we providing them the skills? And this is where that reflection as a parent comes in mm -hmm. to say, you know what? Um, my kid is really excellent at academics. They are phenomenal at academics. Their stretch is making and keeping friends. Mm -hmm. So what skills do we need to teach them in order to be better at making and keep keeping friends? Okay. Or my child is excellent at making and keeping friends, but they struggle in this area. Yeah. Or, um, and then how do we teach them some skills, going to the library, reading books, um, uh, practicing, doing some role play. Hey, we need to do this because this is not working for you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's where as an adult, we have to um, teach them the coping mechanisms and the skills in order to be independent yeah. and to gain some strength. And it's Which also- under we need those. Yeah. We need those skills. Correct. Well, I was thinking like when this was a bit of an unintended uh, consequence or outcome, but I created an online course for families to learn skills together, but I oh, did yeah. it because it was right at the cusp of COVID. Oh, and yes. And the demand for skill stuff and support mm -hmm. for parents around how do I help my kids with their anxiety? Yeah. I, you know, I did this online program so that people could do it in their own homes because mm -hmm, it needed mm -hmm. to be accessible. Right, and so right. I thought, well, then parents need to know what they're teaching their kids. Otherwise, yeah. you know, I'm not just going to teach their kids distance ed. I'm not a, not an instructor that way. Yeah. So, you know, that, but then after it was, it went out, I realized by accident, this yeah. actually was 
really well designed because the way in which we learn and stick to our learning is having common language, having adult support, doing the same things with the same people that we're connected to at the same time. So if I, you know, is similar to if I do therapy with a six or seven year old who's Mm -hmm. really anxious, I cannot exclude the parents from the process because I can teach them all I want in here, but then they go home to the same reinforcements to the same yeah. dynamics yeah. to the same mm-hmm. trigger questions that they mm-hmm. the parents didn't even know were happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so if we learn together mm-hmm. and we practice the same skills at the same time for one it normalizes it right our kids don't mm-hmm. feel like they're crazy for feeling this way because mm-hmm. oh look mm-hmm. you're willing to participate too mm-hmm. but I just I thought that was so funny because I I'd like to pretend that that was my intention, but you know, at the end <laughs> of the day, happens. I was like, oh, that was accidental, but it really actually works well yeah. for other reasons. The probably yeah. the biggest benefit is that adults are sitting at the table learning the same skills. And it's so true. Um, yeah. And that's why kind of at the beginning when I was talking, it's about being curious. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. you know, when your child has anxiety or maybe they, you know, they, they, you've just noticed that they're not able to do those, the same things that, um, that, that their same age peers are doing. It's about being curious. And it's about, yeah. the first thing is about being curious with yourself. Yeah. And um, are you able to use the language like, you know, purposely spill a glass of water? I'm going back to the perfectionist thing. It's like, look, mommy made a mistake. Holy cow. Oops, I forgot yeah. this. So bringing attention to that language. And are you okay with making mistakes? Yes. How is, what is your... Um, you know, what is your thought process around mm-hmm. being perfect? Um, what are your expectations for your child? Yeah. Um, and then reflecting upon ourselves. Um, I run a parent program, a parent and child yeah. program uh, called Stop Now and Plan, the SNAP yeah. program. And, um, you know, the most of the parents come into the program thinking that it's for their child. Yeah. And by day two, they go, oh, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> and they start to use I statements and it's yes. such a powerful moment. Sure um, is. Oh my yeah. Goodness. To reflect. Yeah. yeah. It, our own awareness. And, and I would tack on with curiosity comes some compassion. We have yeah. much more grace for ourselves when we take a questioning stance. I wonder what's mm, happening for me and yeah. why rather mm-hmm. than, Oh, I did it again. Why am I always like this, right? That's so critical and judgmental. And the second we switch it to curiosity, Mm -hmm. there's space to be kind and to be warm and to be patient and to take it slow, right? Um, Yeah, Yeah, yeah. particularly now. And, you know, I would say, how would you talk to your best friend if they were having a hard time? Would you call them an idiot? Yeah. Um, Because you wouldn't. Would you say you're so stupid you forgot their hot lunch money? You wouldn't. So speak to them in the same way that you speak to yourself in the same way that you would your would your friends and just and just be kind and give grace, particularly right now. And right now, people seem to be operating on that edge of fight or flight all the time because you just don't know particularly heading back to school, there is a level of fear to sending your child back to school and uncertainty and hopefully safety. And it is, um, it is, it's hard. It's very challenging right now because as you're talking about that prefrontal cortex and you're sending your child back into the safety of the school, the hopefully safety of the school, um, you know, you're not using that same logic as you typically would. 
you know, you would be thinking they're back to school. This is amazing. Um, And right now you'd be like, oh, it's not working. Um, And at the same, like, it's just changing your worldview. Um, And I can, I can appreciate that. And I can also appreciate for some parents, school is not a safe place. It was not for them. Yep. And um, they, or their kid is in grade eight and they've, they've had a hard seven years. So yeah. sending their kid back, is just tiring. So yeah. I, I, I can, and I've, I've heard that multiple times and I can really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Before we talk about the collaboration with schools, mm-hmm. do you have anything else you want to add that can maybe boost the toolkit for parents to meet their kids in ways that are effective? to support them in effective ways? Yeah. If I could, um, if I could use the words of, of Bruce Perry, Mm. um, and use the ideas of Dr. Bruce Perry, it is taking a step back and first of all, understanding your child's rhythm. We all live by a rhythm and it begins when you're pregnant with your child and they, they regulate by the rhythm of your heart. So when you're dysregulated and your heart rate goes up, your child's heart rate actually goes up. Hmm. Um, when you put your um, hands on your stomach, your child will often reach out through the stomach to, to try to touch your hand, to <laughs> try to regulate. Yeah. And I would say if your child is having a hard time, try to find their rhythm. That's hmm. number one. What rhythm are they in? And are they out of rhythm? Because we need things we need rhythm to have balance in our life. And yeah. right now, just in general, it's out of balance. Yeah. So what is the rhythm of your child? What do they do? Do they, you know, as a parent, running is a rhythm, you know, that mm-hmm. that repetitive running, mm-hmm. the sound. Do they Regulates play piano? Sound, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Finding the rhythm okay. and then spending time to reconnect to find that rhythm again. Yeah. And what do they need in order to be regulated? And then the other thing is, is it's okay to ask for help. Mm. And it's amazing that before you have a child, you go to all the courses and you read all the books. Yep. Um, but then once your child is born, you're expected to know everything. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. You just better that. be the expert of everything. That's, that's right. Because yeah. you can't read parenting books. And if, if you go to a parenting course, it's kind of like, oh, I went to a parenting course. Yeah. Like you're embarrassed because about it. Because it must be terrible. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. it's just yeah, not, yeah. That. not that. So know when you need to ask for help. Yeah. And I think a third thing is trust your gut. Okay. Um, uh, Stephen Porges, Dr. Porges taught with that polyvagal theory. He talks yeah. about neuroception. Yes. And neuroception is that prefrontal cortex reading yeah. situations. And we know when things aren't right. Mm-hmm. And you might have to be an advocate. Yeah. But if you know that just things aren't right and there's something going on, follow through and follow mm-hmm. your gut. Okay. So there's so many strategies that you can use, but that co-regulation is probably the main one. Yeah. And so if your child is really anxious Maybe they need quiet time. Allow them that quiet time. Sometimes it's just getting down and um, playing with them, with the younger kids. So uh, play a board game, play something that they like to do. With some of the older kids, it might be just sitting down and saying, hey, tell me about your video game. I can't even tell you how many conversations I have about Minecraft or Pokemon. I still do not understand it, but (laughs) I have talked about it. (laughs) 
ad nauseum. You met them there. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Connection points. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And then go from there to build yeah. that relationship again. And then with high school students, it might be just going for a walk. Sometimes that eye to eye contact isn't comfortable. So going yep. for a walk side by side, taking them out for a cinnamon bun, going to McDonald's, yep. doing something to build the, to keep the relationship going. Yeah. Um, and that's where to start with anxiety. Yeah. Um, and then understanding that when you're a parent, you, you can't be a counselor. You can't be a doctor. That's right. <laughs> Even yeah. as a counselor, yeah. it's hard. You, you can't with your yeah. kids. <laughs> so yeah. you, you right. have to understand when to ask for help. Yeah. I know those are very general. No, um, that's good. But it's yeah. just a, it, that's just where you need to start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think about, and that's slightly different use of this, but I think about the adage of connect before correct. Mm -hmm. You can't ask yeah. somebody to change something before they feel really heard and yes. connected with. And yeah. similarly for co for co-regulating, it's really about how do I first soothe your system to a yes. place where you can think for yourself. Yeah. Then we can go yeah. on to solving mm -hmm. whatever problem feels overwhelming. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. don't get the privilege of skipping or rushing that process. Mm -hmm. We can't mm -hmm. skip the step, right? Yeah. 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 No. And I, I can think of, you know, I just like I took my nephews out for a uh, a thing downtown and um and on the way out they had to take their iPads to take pictures and um one of my nephews went on a, a video game and I asked him to put it away and um he didn't and I said you need to shut it down and I went to turn it off and I realized I was escalating because I had just received some bad news and I'm like I'm not being my best right now but I couldn't stop it the train had left the station and I was <laughs> And, I have a um, goal and I'm going to oh, accomplish it. I it, know. It just was not welcome, my best moment. Welcome to oh. the parenting, like, day-to-day. -day. This, this just, is, oh, yeah. Yeah, I could just <laughs> see myself from this per per person. And I'm like, God, you're being a jerk right now. But I couldn't yeah. stop it because in yeah. my mind, I was associating with him not turning off the game, with being yeah. disrespectful and not appreciating the moment. Yeah. So we got in the car and I just, I, I didn't say anything. And we did the 45-minute drive back. And then I'm just like, how am I going to deal with this? And I didn't say anything in the moment. And then I got home and I turned around and I said, I'm going to address this. And I just said, I'm not happy with how I reacted there. Mm. I'm not proud of myself. Yeah. Um, and then we worked through it and went from yeah. there. Um, but it was just one of, and this is what I do for a living. Like yeah. I, yeah, I, I co-regulate. I co I, I, <laughs> it just... Like, because we're all human. This is yeah. our own protective instincts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't great. But it was the humbleness of saying, I'm sorry. The repair was there. So the repair important. was there. Yeah. And he's like, it's okay, Auntie Shannon. And I'm yeah, like, they get over great. It. Yeah. And like, he was fine. And I, I was the one. He let it go that 44 was, minutes yeah, ago. He was totally, he was just like answering questions and fine. I'm like, you're okay. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. But that you're fine. I was really uncomfortable, so I'm yeah. not okay. Oh, I know. Yes. Anyways. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I digress. Yeah. This is going to be part of a series that's going to air kind of throughout the summer um, in preparation for school. And I don't know where we're going to be at by then um, with access to school buildings, with face-to-face mm -hmm. -face meetings again with teachers. I don't know where mm -hmm. it will be at, but despite mm -hmm. where it's at, I know where it's been for the last two years. Yeah. And it has set a stage that has somewhat felt permanent for a lot mm -hmm. of kids mm -hmm. and for a lot mm -hmm. of parents. So we have adapted our rhythms to yes. external 
yeah. barriers. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to push out of that. Yeah. And when it is safe to do so, I'd like to know from you any thoughts about currently how do we collaborate and and mm-hmm. more so just not not the mechanism for calling or whatever, but mm-hmm. what do we advocate for? Because mm-hmm. a lot of parents worry about the bear the, and rightfully so because this is a tricky mm-hmm. gray mm-hmm. area of helping mm-hmm. our anxious kids cope yep. is yep. how much to accommodate and how yes. much to push and change yeah. yep. and so what should parents be asking for in school systems what's mm-hmm. fair to have dialogue about who should they be talking to mm-hmm. about what accommodations is it the classroom mm-hmm. teacher is it the mm-hmm. school counselor is it mm-hmm. and how do we build not just you go to school, they mm-hmm. figure it out with you, and then mm-hmm. you come home, and then I make mm-hmm. my own system. Mm-hmm. How do we make it the most predictably consistent, mm-hmm. supportive environment fluidly between mm-hmm. school and home for mm-hmm. our kids? Yes. So I can tell you that I don't know any more than you in regards to what we're gonna, what's going to happen in September yeah, yeah. and what's happening tomorrow. Right. I don't know. So the same information that you hear on the news is the same information that we are getting. And so it would be easy to assume that the school knows everything, but they really don't. And the schools are just doing their best. I think that's, that's a really important thing to note. We're not keeping anything from you and we're not keeping anything from parents. We literally don't know. And people are trying their best. Well, and what's and, so brutal is you think about that in your own home, how hard it is to pivot every time the news I breaks I know, and how you have to reschedule your entire week or your yeah. entire month or your yes. entire whatever. And, you yes. know, double that, triple that every time you have another kid in your home. Yeah. That is just us in our, yes. and we are flooded and overwhelmed by that on yeah. a day to day and yes. it's accumulated over years. Yes. So you then imagine trying to administer a school system. Correct. Right? Yeah. That gets the yeah. same news the same time and has to pivot and then communicate and deal with all the, I know, I can't even. I yes. don't even, I'm so grateful I am not in that position. <laughs> so yeah. our brains love patterns. Yeah, oh, And do. they love consistency. Yes. And what we are experiencing in the last two years is we can't trust what we've known before. That's right. Yeah. So as, a, as somebody who is in there in their forties, I know the world. I have a worldview of the way the world has been for 42 yeah. years. Yeah. And good base camp, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Good foundation. Right. In the last two years, I cannot trust my worldview from before. Yeah. And so that has changed. And so yeah. that is a struggle and, and we don't know what is, what's going to happen in September. No. Right. However, Understanding that, going back to your question about the school, is I love the word that you say collaborate. And I'd like to add to that by saying school is a, you and the school have a partnership. Yes. You are partners with raising your child or your children or the people that you are in care of. Mm -hmm. And it is done together. So there's some things that going back to that reflection and, um, you know, quoting somebody else is also saying you need to, there's, there's two parts. So as a parent, you can love the child that you gave birth to. Mm-hmm. That's number one, who their strengths are and who their stretches are. Yeah. And 
understanding that you are sending your child to school is not someone who's perfect because the school isn't perfect either. Yeah. And you are sending it to some good teachers Mm -hmm. and some teachers that have some things to work on to a system that is not perfect for everybody, but it works for most. Yeah. And understanding that the collaboration needs to happen through communication Mm. and it needs to happen. Correct. Yeah. And it needs to happen through two way dialogue And some really simple ways that parents can do this is read the planner, read the newsletter, read the website. That's it. So they don't need to join any committees, even though PAC, absolutely join the PAC because then, you know, you'll get a greater sense. But if you don't have that capacity, which is no problem, then read those three things and that will get you on a huge head start. Okay. The other thing is, is that there's two sides to every story. (laughs) Or um, three or five. I was actually just going to, I was just going to correct myself. There's like, actually 10 in there. That's, and that's there's right. A whole... Yes. So there's, there's, there's 10 sides to a story. So when a child comes to you and says, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, this happening, yeah. that is the time to pause and to reflect yeah. on yourself and saying, how am I reacting to this? Am I going into quote unquote mama bear mode? Yeah. Am I going into father bear mode where I'm just going to protect and say that this is awful or say, huh, I'm going to be curious about this. Yeah. I'm just going to step back and I'm going to be curious and I'm going to approach the school with a sense of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Can you help me understand? Because this is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And rather than this is what I need because my child would never do this and never do this and never do this. There is definitely a line between and I know that parents are are often they don't know how to walk the line between yeah. advocating and being the red flag. Right. And that's a challenge for yeah. sure. But by beginning the dialogue, by having the communication, um giving your example of um the parent meetings like on Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. Some parents don't know that they can actually contact the teacher outside of those. I know. Yeah, and you can. Talk to your teacher. (laughs) Talk to the teacher. Yes. Yeah. And understanding that the teacher is a human being. They have their own responsibilities. So, you know, emailing them 10 times a day, five times a day at 10 Mm -hmm. o'clock at night and expecting a response is just not effective or reasonable. But understanding that if there's a thing that needs to be communicated, communicate. And understand that you're supporting the child in the best way that, that they can in that moment and then listening if the school says they need to kind of fail a little bit. So if you're doing, if you are your child's prefrontal cortex and you're doing all of the work for them, the school may say you need to back off a little bit because they got to fail and knowing that they have the best interest of the child at heart um, to their own capacity. Yeah. Yeah, Or together ask what else is going on for them that they can't be doing this for themselves. Because I think a lot of parents instinctively fill in gaps Yeah, and it becomes the pattern that we need to fill in the gap. Sometimes we don't realize that that was never needed. We just needed to give them more space to learn from natural Mm -hmm. consequences. But in other times it's, it's because there has been a giant gap that we are scared they will continue to experience and yeah. may without other different resources, right? Yes, so yes. So you don't want to postpone that. You want no. to identify that as early as you can. And if you keep filling it in, yeah, you can. it just kind of covers it up. 
yeah. for longer, right? And yes. then your kid doesn't yeah. actually get the help they need. They just yeah. get a cover up for longer. Right. right. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter where they are. What right. skills do you want them to have? Do you want them to be independently able to use the bathroom, yeah. um, have some social skills, um, make and keep friends, be able to um, cook in the kitchen, um, be able to have a job, whatever that job is. What skills do you want them to have at 18 and then work backwards? Mm. And the goal of every child in, or every parent and caregiver should be the work towards independence. Yeah. It doesn't matter what those things are. Yeah. So as you're slowly taking off, if you never let your child forget anything um, and you always are covering up, so you're mm. always you know, bringing them their lunch or bringing them their shoes or you finish their homework for them and you're, they're never allowed to fail what happens when failure does come? They're not prepared yeah. for it. Yeah. Those neurons have not connected. They don't have the brain development that will allow them to the resilience to come yeah. out if they fail. Or once they are independent, as an example, and I'll use a very generic example of going to university. Um, and I recognize that that could be nuanced because not all parents have a goal of university, which is completely okay. Yeah. So at university, when they have to hand in an assignment on time and a date and they've moved across the country and you're not there to do it for them. They have no idea the executive skills to actually get it done on time. Yeah. So we have to learn that over time. Going back to your original question, the connection with school. Yeah. Um, if I think of parents that are coming into kindergarten and they maybe have daycare and preschool, school is not preschool and daycare. It's very different. Yeah. So if you're coming in with the understanding that it's daycare and it's going to be a one to four ratio, it's not a one to four ratio. Right. Right. We are dealing with 22 to one, which is yeah. very different. Yeah. And then once they're getting into those later grades, it's 30 to one. And in high school, it can be 140 to oh. one because a teacher has 140. You can't. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> yeah. So it's also the understanding that the role of a school is academics and education. Yeah. So if a child, this is where that nuance comes in, where you have mental health and where you have anxiety, is mm -hmm. the anxiety getting in the way of their learning and getting in the way of their academics yeah. and getting in the way of their education. And that's where you can surround a child because, oh, yeah. they're so anxious that it is affecting their academics because they won't do something. And then the school can wrap around the child. Right, right. So I do have parents that come to me and say, they're fine at home or they're sort of fine at school, hundred percent, but yeah. then they get home and they're a disaster. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that helps boundary responsibility mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and help people have realistic expectations of who can change what for your child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also think that I, I, I have so valued conversations with teachers who understand that our kids are holistic mm -hmm. and that if my kid is performing really well in school, but mm -hmm. crashes for hours mm -hmm. every day when they get home, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it's not about school. Correct. Right. And so, so yes. even just being able to have, if for parents to feel like, well, if it's not a problem at school, showing mm -hmm. up at school directly, then mm -hmm. it's not my right to talk with a teacher about it. And I say mm -hmm. right loosely. Mm -hmm. I don't mean like, mm -hmm. oh, it's mm -hmm. my right. But like it's that they, they start to feel like, well, then it's not appropriate to have that mm -hmm. conversation. And I actually would say it 
kids' lives are more fluid than that. They Mm -hmm. might be really trying to hold it together, but it doesn't mean it's not the source of overwhelm. Mm -hmm. So to, to feel free to talk, is it fair to feel free to talk with teachers and school counselors and administrators Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. being curious Mm -hmm. of, is this actually too much for them? for their system. And and am I just seeing the sign when they get home or get picked up or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they can't manage outside Mm -hmm. in the hallways or after school? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, And can, can we assess together? Mm -hmm. Because I always think that half the data, because we are not in the schools with our kids, we don't get the data. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. most teenagers do not come home telling us eight chapters worth of information from, they say, <laughs> fine, fine, good, good. Yes. I don't want to talk about it. And so we're Nothing. left guessing, right. like, yeah. I don't know if that's actually happening. Are they hanging uh-huh. out with friends? Was there yeah. a fight at lunch? Did mm-hmm. this become an issue? Are there yeah. identity challenges? Are yeah. there conflicts with teachers? Are there, mm-hmm. do they just not want me to know about it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do we, and, and the regularity of those conversations, I think holds merit Checking in mm-hmm. once a year with a teacher mm-hmm. until or until there's a problem mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. does not help you establish a baseline for what's going on at school either. Yeah. Are you supposed not- to know what your kid's rhythm is there if you don't talk yeah. with the people who can tell you yes. what they're saying? And, and sometimes I wouldn't say that no news is good news. Or um, it's just they might not have time. (laughs) So it's always important. And even if your kid is an A or B student um, by grades and not necessarily the grades are the be all end all, um, still go to the parent meeting, still introduce and say, hi, I'm here. Take the opportunities where they are. Absolutely. And build on those. Absolutely. So just, you know, some basic communication and then coming to the school from a place of curiosity and, um, and then also, you know, following that neuroception, following your gut and saying, I think my child needs help and I think yeah. they need support. Yeah. But then also understanding that, um, that the resources when, within the school are finite. That's right. And their teacher's responsibility is to understand the needs of their learners mm. and to support the academics in a variety of ways. Yeah. Um, adaptations, accommodations um, are all within the teacher's scope. Okay. Then there's about one to three percent who need specific one to one support, be it a counselor, occupational yeah. therapist, yeah. Um, a hearing resource um, uh, any type of itinerant team, about one to 3% of every mm-hmm. school. And it's a very finite resource. That's always triage. It's a needs-based mm-hmm. system. If there is a counselor, sometimes the counselor is only there one day a week. Yeah. And then the counselor needs to understand the needs of the whole school yeah. and almost triage according to those needs. Absolutely. Oh, it's some, the stress on the system and parents it feel it, right? They and I do. think in some ways, it's not that they don't want to reach out. They're worried about adding to the stress mm-hmm. by reaching yeah. out. You know, yeah. if my kid's not bad enough at, you know, right. with their anxiety yeah. in a bad enough state, then yeah. ooh, I just won't bother them. Yeah. And I think yep. that's a, you know, we have to be careful with that too. I agree. Because it's okay to ask, but it's also okay to remember the limit of the system. So if we get feedback that I just can't today, Mm -hmm. it's not because your kid's not important. No. It's it's just the stress of the system. 
Yeah. And I'll, yeah. I'll give an example for that. So let's say you say, oh, I don't want to bother them, but my child is really struggling with friendships. Okay. Because yeah. there's, let's say, I'll give an example of grade four to five girl drama, yes. which just happens in grade four. Right. <laughs> there's something magical that occurs and there's girl drama. Uh, it's so, not the greatest magic. <laughs> no, it's a struggle yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, so saying, okay, my child is struggling with, with some girl drama. So I'm going to talk to the counselor. I'm going to talk to the teacher and say, yeah. Hey, this is what's happening. It's not great birthday parties, blah, blah, blah. But what a parent doesn't know is a parent advocates for their one child and speaks about their one child, Mm -hmm. but then they're not understanding that actually three other kids are also struggling with the girl drama. And so what happens is the teacher may go to the counselor and says, I understand that you can't see this kid one-on-one because that's not possible, but can we do a friendship group or can we do class building on how to be a good friend? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're targeting 30 kids instead of one. So they may not have the capacity for one-on-one, but they might have the capacity to let's do once a week for 30 minutes. It might spark change. That's right. In a bigger context. That's right. Yeah. So that's good to remember Yeah. because parents, I think, hold back and, and they might feel like I don't want to take up too much space if it's not too severe, but guaranteed that if your kid's struggling with something, they're not the only one. I would agree. And if we can flag that for classrooms and then resource them well, yeah. it, it benefits the teachers too. Correct. Kids with better coping strategies do that's better right. in learning, which is that's the whole right. point. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. right. This absolutely speak to the school and understanding okay. some years you may have teachers who get your child's rhythm. Yeah. And some years you may not. (laughs) And that's just humanity. We don't click with everybody. Our kids don't click with everybody. Adults don't click with everybody. Yes. And it's harder to attune to some people than others for for each of us, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Because we want our child, you know, we want our child to have the best experience. Of course. Every year. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes it's easy to think that the schools are going to be perfect, number one. Yeah. Or in the other cases that schools haven't changed since you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So the same school that you had in the seventies is who your kid is. Is what you're imagining and dropping them off for. And that's not true either. Yeah. (laughs) So yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've covered a lot of ground because we didn't just talk about different vantage points, but we talked about different age groups. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really valuable for parents to understand your default position as being curious and attuned Mm -hmm. to your kids is going to give you the best data. Mm -hmm. because your kids change all the time Mm -hmm. and their school system changes all the time. And -hmm. what we know from the past two years is every day there's a change happening that is outside Mm -hmm. of our control. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just, I can appreciate all the detail of every kind of um, angle, but also developmental phase and stage, Mm -hmm. but also recognize that there's a, there's a, a global access point, I think Mm -hmm. for all of us, Mm-hmm. And it's to be connected, mm-hmm. find avenues for connection with our kids so we get the real information mm-hmm. and we know then our gut feeling mm-hmm. and being curious will take us to the next level of actually getting help mm-hmm. in the right way for the right timing mm-hmm. for our kids, the mm-hmm. way they need it. Mm-hmm. And so not to assume we have to be the experts. It's okay to reach out and to ask mm-hmm. questions, mm-hmm. Um, but to trust ourselves the, mm-hmm. within the the parameters of that connection we do know what our kids are needing at the core and we shouldn't ignore that or dismiss that and I I just appreciate I just appreciate how much you've been able to share Mm -hmm. um in the last hour and a bit about Mm -hmm. 
what that looks like and what that feels like for people and to empower us to connect with each other to support and wrap around our kids when they're anxious Mm -hmm. so thank you thank you for today you're welcome yeah yeah Yeah, it was great shannon thanks yeah thank you thanks for spending time with me today remember to check out the show notes for related resources You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.